0: This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy! You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus.
1: So Dan, as you are a teacher of teachers, right? When you are talking with your, you know, teacher candidates or you know teachers going through their masters, how do you prep them to like teach difficult content for like the different levels that they may be teaching? Like I understand that like Sometimes a first grade teacher might, you know, jump to a third grade later on. Like, how do you help teachers kind of deal with that?
0: That's a great question. And I'll give an answer here. I don't, you know, you, as a teacher, I'm not sure I always do it the way I think I should do it, right? Like it's, and so it's good to have a plan. So you're helping me, Michael, by letting me step back and reflect a little bit on on what it is I know that I've intended to do. I think one thing I do in my classes is I try to start off by really asking students to think about their own identities, right, and experiences. And I think that's always like a good place. So, you know, one academic term for that is their positionality, right, in relationship to their identity, systems of power, you know, privilege that exists in society. So so thinking about those areas where, you know, your identity is normalized or where you don't have to think about it right are good starting places to kind of start thinking critically about what you have to learn and have Mm -hmm. some humility going into those discussions and so i think thinking and talking about those a little bit at the beginning of a class and so we do that through some great activities like reading the picture book my name is a song oh i just
1: read that to my daughter
0: Yeah. And we I think we've talked about it before, but that's a great one because it allows you to think about like, oh, like even, for example, maybe my name is normalized in some kind of way Mm. that people think, oh, you're, you know, my name is normal and other names are weird. Well, the fact is, is that we need to rethink the way we think about that. So I think that's one thing. And then I think for history, social studies content like specific stories or like kind of case study type things are always really helpful, right? Whether it's a video, whether it's some specific story in a picture book, whether it's a primary source, I think getting into the details helps a lot. When you talk in generalities, you kind of have to convince people more about like how to understand some historical oppression or issue or things like that. But when you get into the details, it becomes a lot more clear sometimes. So I guess I guess my method would be starting with ourselves, right? And and developing that humility to think about systems of oppression and then moving into specific examples to start understanding it better. I don't know. What do you think? Is that, I need feedback. I need a critical friend here
1: to help me out. So one of the things I've been thinking about is like, let's say you're talking, so I teach uh, US history. And one of the things, so I teach high school, uh, ninth grade. So one of the things that, you know, we were talking about slavery and their my students understanding of slavery, like they it's like very much an ongoing, not an ongoing thing, but like they have a very they believe that like enslaved people were like chained up at night. Right. So one of the things we did a couple of years ago, we were reading, you know, the Kenneth C. Davis book about the lives of uh, enslaved people who are owned by presidents.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah! In the shadow of liberty, the hidden history of slavery four presidents and five black lives. God, we haven't talked about that one in a while.
1: No, we haven't. One of the chapters was on Alfred Jackson. And one of the things that really my students found fascinating was that, like, there was a wedding scene at the beginning and my students were like, well, wait a second. That didn't really like go with what their belief of like of of slavery was because their understanding was just very very generic and so it was a really neat way like to kind of like open their eyes to like, I mean, these are people who are enslaved. And I know when I did did research, I did a, a thing with Mount Vernon. One of the things they talked about was like, you know, giving agency to the enslaved community who worked for Washington is kind of like a way to like bring those stories to light, but also to help people understand things a little bit better to make sure that enslaved people had agency. But anyway, my whole point here is that like my ninth graders are coming in with a very their understanding of slavery is very like surface level. And so like what surface should like a third grader or fifth grader or a ninth grader be 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 given, you know, and I don't know if I'm phrasing that right. But like, I feel like they're going to get into more more nuance as you kind of like scale up and so to speak.
0: Well, I think one thing maybe you're referencing is the difference between like generalities and like specifics, right? Like how do you start to develop general understandings about the nature of a topic like slavery? And then how do you start to understand the specifics, right? Which is complex because slavery looked very different, as we've talked about on this podcast before. And I, I also, another reference I should shout out is that's really helpful, not just the scholarship. There's so much good scholarship people have been doing around this, but the hard history guide on learning for justice is really mm-hmm. helpful because they have some of those generalities, like some, some ideas about slavery that you should teach that are really good to look at as you go into it. Cause they give you ideas about how you hold discussions and stuff. But I'll tell you what, what I still need to learn a lot more about is how kids really make sense of a topic like this, right? Like what, what is going through their mind and what generalities do they have and how much is that in relation to their experiences? And I just, you know, if we had somebody who was doing that kind of research, that would be really helpful.
1: Wait. Really?
0: (laughs) You know, we took a long break and yet we've changed very little, right? (laughs) And how how we bring our guests in. But we are really excited today to bring someone in who's going to help bring, you know, a lot of ideas about how kids understand the, you know, hard histories and, and slavery in particular. And so we would like to welcome to the podcast, Ryan Hughes.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: We're thrilled to have you here. Ryan Hughes, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Sure. So I am a, an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and I work in with beginning elementary school teachers and teach social studies methods. And prior to coming to North Carolina, I was an elementary school teacher in California for nearly a decade.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about your, your teaching experience, particularly as it kind of relates to maybe the teaching of hard histories and how you negotiated that as a classroom teacher yourself?
2: Sure. So when I was a classroom teacher, I taught third grade. Specifically, we did a unit on the civil rights movement. And so I had some experience teaching that topic to third graders the last three years I was in the classroom before I started my doctoral studies. But what was interesting is the teachers I taught with in the school community didn't really broach the topic of slavery. So although we talked about the civil rights movement and civil rights victories, there wasn't really an acknowledgement of the fact that the Civil Rights Movement came out of the failures to address Reconstruction after the Civil War. And so I had really never seen teachers teach about slavery in elementary school, especially in younger grades, until I did this research study that I'll share with you today.
0: Yeah, no, that's really important. And I think, you know, I, I just think about like, we do Texas history in fourth grade here. Right. And of course, Texas is passing all the laws that you, you, if you're basically white, you can't be uncomfortable by topics, which I don't even know how to respond to that without going on a, you know, two hour rant, which I'll, I'll save everyone from doing. But, you know, a big reason the state of Texas exists is because it was, became a, was entered the union as a slave state and was a place for the institution of slavery to expand. And so it's so hard sometimes to even broach. An honest history without broaching these topics, right? Like you said, you can't understand the civil rights movement without understanding reconstruction. Yet some people have tried to do that. And I'm guessing what we're doing is just not teaching history
2: very well. Yeah. Not making connections between these events, right? You know, one
0: challenge I've had is I work with teacher candidates who are going to be working with elementary students. And I think there's a lot of, you know, efforts, particularly we now we see in the press to quote unquote, protect elementary students. And of course, we the the effort seemed being about protecting white students from having to learn about historical oppression or white supremacy. Um, and so I've really also wanted to understand how kids make sense of this because we hear a lot from adults. And it seems like we don't hear a lot from kids, right? About how they make sense of these things without it, you know, being filtered through, you know, parents. And so you got published in TRSC on this topic. And and so first, congratulations on your publication. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And so the article came out in 2022, and it's titled, What is Slavery? Third grade students sense making about enslavement through historical inquiry. Can you tell us about the study?
2: Sure. I can tell you a little bit about the study. So this is actually my dissertation study when I was finishing my my doctoral studies. And I had the pleasure of working with a teacher who we'll call Miss McKinley, And I got in touch with her through... National Council for the Social Studies, she was a heavily involved elementary school teacher uh, in in, in NCSS, and I met her at the annual conference in 2016, and I was studying during my, my PhD in a different state, but she lived about seven hours away, and I knew that she did a lot of inquiry teaching, a lot of, and especially a lot of historical thinking types of teaching, and I was interested in researching that, so I did a small pilot study with her for two weeks, in the winter of 2016. And I went into her classroom and the topic they happened to be studying was African-American history. And they were studying slavery specifically. And until I walked into that classroom that day, that was the first time in my life I'd actually witnessed someone teach slavery to elementary school students. I'd never actually done any observation. Like I said, I hadn't done it myself. Mm -hmm. So I became pretty fascinated with her classroom she was a white teacher uh, and she had predominantly white students. She was teaching in a state that was 90% white. So it just was an interesting context to teach the topic and just a really unique opportunity to witness how it was taught. So I ended up going back during the 2017, 2018 school year, and I stayed in her classroom for six, six months total. And during that time, she taught her African-American inquiry again. And about six weeks of that inquiry is specifically devoted to pre-Civil War, to talking about slavery and uh, the lives of enslaved people. And so this article that I wrote really focuses on how did students make sense of those six weeks of the inquiry? And the question that she posed to the students and asked them to answer is, what is slavery? And so I collected the students' classwork and I tried to figure out how these 19 third graders responded to that question over time. That's a, you
0: know, the, the question seems simple, right? Like it's a definition, but it's actually a fairly profound question in other ways when you keep thinking through it. Um, I'm curious, what did what did some of her lessons look like? Can you tell us that about that and then tell us about how kids made sense of it?
2: Yeah, definitely. So she definitely used a lot of primary sources. So that's one of the things she had a lot of experience with. About 20 years before I did my research with her, she had been involved with a PD that had trained her in using a lot of the historical thinking techniques with elementary school students. So she would often start with primary sources, and then she'd ask the students to analyze the sources and then to brainstorm their own questions about the sources. And then she'd let the students research those questions. And while they were doing that, kind of in the background, she would reuse children's literature, whether it was storybooks or informational text, to kind of help the students build background knowledge on the topic. And then one of the things she did that was really helpful to me in my research is she had the students just journal the first day, what is slavery, write down what you think. You know, and some of the students said things that were really off topic and other students knew more about it. And then she'd ask them a week later, okay, go back to your journal, draw a line under what you wrote last time. I want you to answer the question again, what is slavery? So over time, I could see the students building knowledge and see how how the responses to the question changed. And so that was kind of her general pedagogy. Um, and those were the artifacts I examined to produce this paper.
1: That sounds really neat. I like, you know, I like the fact that you, she kept going back to it. Now, my question is just very generic or very general. Were you, as a going to the third grade classroom, were you sitting at really tiny desks?
2: I was sitting at a really tiny desk in the back of the room next to the teacher's desk and it did get relatively uncomfortable I'm 6'1 but you know I hadn't been in elementary classroom in several years so it was nice to rejoin the class community for the school year.
1: Thank you that I I was that was the question that Dan I, I really had to get in. M-
0: Michael's always come in with the hard hitting questions that really make our guests uncomfortable honestly. <laughs> It it seems like this teacher's really thoughtful approach. She allows students a lot of space to work through their ideas, which I, I'm starting to hear already. So, what did that look like for students? What was their process of sense making like? How how did they move through it? You said some students were off topic initially as they started to understand the concepts and and um you know learn more about the institution of slavery and the lives of, you know, black people who were enslaved. What what did that look like for them?
2: Yeah. So I needed a way, as a white researcher, to figure out like how the, what the students were learning and like what the holes where the holes might be. And it took me a while to figure out how to understand the student sense making. And one of the things that really helped me was in 2016 there was a book published called Teaching and Learning American Slavery, and the foreword to that book was written by a historian named Ira Berlin, and he basically came up with 10 key concepts that students would need to learn if they had a robust understanding of American slavery. And those 10 key concepts would later filter into the learning for justice materials that you mentioned earlier, Dan. But those, what I ended up doing was coding the students' work against the 10 key concepts. And what I found was that students became really proficient in talking about aspects of race and power over time specifically, whereas they didn't include a lot of racial terms in their work initially. So it seems like they would say things like slaves are people who work. Later on, they were saying things like slaves are African-American people who work. But one of the things I noticed about around their sense-making of race is that they mentioned African-American or Black about seven times more frequently than they mentioned whites. So it seemed like their sense-making around race, they understood who was enslaved in the race of those people, but perhaps not the the relationship with the white enslavers or covered that much less in their schoolwork. And then in terms of this aspect of power, they wrote a lot about violence and slavery. So they would write things like, you know, you had a master and a master could whip you or you were put on a slave ship and you were forced below deck, you know, for 23 hours a day, uh, things like that. But those aspects of power were really about individuals' enslaved people's experiences and kind of how they experienced oppression versus really thinking about power as an institution. So in terms of talking about power, students would use, began to use words over time like forced, stolen, sold, whipped. So they were understanding power uh, and how those, how enslaved people experience power in those ways, but they didn't quite understand that the people who were enslaving were benefiting economically and that those economic benefits were compounding across, you know, decades of slavery and centuries of slavery. So there was no understanding of kind of the, the larger aspects of power there.
0: That kind of resonates also with a lot of, you know, what I've seen, right? The first, the ignoring of the role of white oppressors, right, in the in slavery. And um, the role of white people in general, right? A lot of it is focusing on oftentimes black suffering and how they experienced it. And oftentimes through sometimes through the experiences of of black heroes, right? Who resisted slavery, whether it's Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass or someone like that. But yeah, I think sometimes the systems and the nature of oppressive systems is a harder thing to understand. How did you see kids wrestling with that and then I think the other thing is, right, a lot of these laws, the the quote unquote anti-CRT laws are premised on this idea that not only are kids being like somehow indoctrinated, but that they can't handle any of this. How did you interpret the way students were able to understand and handle the issue of slavery?
2: I think one of the critiques in the paper is one of the things that I wish the teacher would have done more of is to kind of engage the students' own identities, so she didn't really talk to them about their own racial identities or talk to them about the way that their identities may have been similar or different from the people they were learning about in social studies. Because she, I think she did a lot of historical distancing where it was talked about as a historical topic that had no relevance to the present. And so I think because of that, she didn't address the connections between the past and the present, and she didn't engage the students' identities. And so therefore, I think it was kind of engaged as a, like a less emotional topic, you know, and I think that there was, so that was obvious to me in one of the critiques that I provided in the paper. There were moments when she would ask the students to, for example, look at a mural that had a portrayal of different aspects of slavery and history, and students would write their emotion on a post-it and post it on the mural in front of the room, and then share about how they were feeling, so there were some opportunities for students to engage how they were feeling about the topic. But definitely, I think that that could have been strengthened.
0: This is kind of a behind the scenes question, right? Is this, would you have felt comfortable or did you provide any of this feedback to the teacher? Because I think sometimes, you know, white teachers can avoid, you know, kind of take an academic approach to a topic like slavery because it feels safer for them emotionally. It doesn't open up kind of some of the difficult conversations and probably some of the conversations that are the, you know, the, in, in my opinion, the false basis for a lot of these, you know, censorship laws in schools. So I'm curious if you were able to talk to this teacher about it or if you would have felt comfortable doing so.
2: Definitely. Yeah. So I did speak with the teacher about it for about two hours after I kind of came up with my initial findings and began to present about them. And I think the teacher understood all of the critiques. And I don't think she was very surprised by them, but she was definitely very hurt by them. And she felt like she had done a lot to build trust in her community to be able to teach about this topic. And then she felt like, you know, she was being told she wasn't doing it the right way or in a way that was, I don't know, preferable based on what we write about in social studies research. So I ultimately don't know what she did with the critiques. I don't know if she if it led to curriculum changes. I also think it's very interesting because the state that the study occurred in now has a critical race theory ban and some of the most more oppressive CRT laws have come out of the state. So I'm not even sure if the teacher is still able to teach this curriculum at all.
0: I think kind of what your discussions point to is that you know doing you know the equity kind of work or social justice work, particularly if you're in a majority group, if you're a white educator teaching about slavery, it's hard work, right? This isn't something you can just come in and do easily, but there's also different components of the work, both the academic and the emotional affective, you know, components. And so, you know, after having done this study and thought about this a lot, we're curious, what advice do you have for teachers who are trying to teach about slavery, especially in elementary?
2: So I think one key practice would be to start with exploring the student's own identities, and allowing students to identify what constitutes their home culture. And that will help students better understand similarities and differences between the historical actors they're going to study. And in addition, I mean, once students, once teachers do that work of exploring home culture, uh, it'll open students up to beginning to think about themselves and asking questions about the content from their own perspective or identity. So then leading with students' questions would be a second suggestion that's really important. So understanding what your students already know and then assessing what it is that they want to know will help a teacher kind of understand how they need to set up the investigation or their teaching around the topic. I think just given my experience with this McKinley student sense making, since whites were so left out of the picture and in, in the students' conceptualizations of slavery, that uh, an explicit focus on helping them understand that slavery was an, a racial institution, and that it wasn't just an institution where there were some bad white people who were, you know, oppressing slaves, but that actually white, all white people in the US had, uh, benefited from slavery. And, you know, we benefited through uh, the creation of systems of power like um, insurance companies, banks, and auction houses, and that these types of structures were really key to the growth of the U.S. economy. And that meant that free white people, even people who did not directly enslave, uh, benefited from enslavement, uh, including through the price of goods and services and the expansion of U.S. infrastructure and industry. So trying to get away from the idea that it was just a Southern institution predicated by just some whites, I think is an important point. And I think in addition to that, just having kids think about the text they're using more critically. One of the things I found in Miss McKinley's study is that a lot of the language in the, the students writing used the passive voice. They would say things like, you would get taken or you would get kidnapped. And the passive voice allowed the students to not engage with who was doing those the kidnapping and the taking. And those patterns are really pervasive in the children's literature that was read in the classroom. So taking a more critical frame and asking students to think more critically about who is writing this text and how are certain people in the text being portrayed, I think would be also really important. So kind of helping students unpack and identify those master narratives that are so prevalent in children's literature.
0: That's really great advice. I feel like I would feel a lot more prepared. I'm feeling a lot more prepared to do a good job of teaching young people about slavery after this discussion, but I know that for me it's it's going back and 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 looking back over these things every time I teach it, right? Like I know I need to go back and maybe look at the advice from your study, look at the recommendations from the Learning for Justice, Teaching American Slavery Curriculum, looking at Legarrett King's historical consciousness principles, which which we've talked about on this podcast numerous times. Those things always help me to to be ready to to point out things like the active voice, you know, ensuring that we're not passively allowing, you know, the people who were enslavers to kind of get by. So this is really helpful. And I it's we appreciate you showing how this work can be done in schools.
2: Well thank you so much for having me. So Ryan
1: Hughes, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our, our listeners find you or your work online?
2: So you can find my work on my Google Scholar page.
1: Perfect. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes for people to, to get at it. So this way they can re- potentially read this article that was published in TRSC.
0: Thanks so much again, Ryan, for joining us today. We certainly hope to continue the discussion online. Can't really discuss it on your Google Scholar page, but maybe some of us will start a little t- Twitter chat about it, um, but th- thank you.
2: Thank you again.
1: So at the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you just want to chat and we get it, we're lonely too, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Visions of Ed. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, in anywhere you'd like us to be.
0: And if you leave leave us a five-star review online, we will not censor it. We are all about you doing whatever you want, but we strongly encourage you to leave a five-star review as that helps people find this podcast. And we would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley Zach High Seitz. School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kratka. And I'm at 42. Thinky. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.